0: Hello everyone and welcome to this week's episode of the Hunt and Fish Bums podcast. On today's episode, we have Garrett Thomas and Joe Bender joining us again. They have returned from their epic archery trip in New Mexico and are going to tell us how it went. How's it going, guys?
1: Going good here. Real good, man. Real good.
0: All right, all right. So before we get started into the elk hunt, I uh I just want to touch up on a couple things um we do have a youtube channel now and fish bums youtube channel you can find us on there if you have some time please subscribe we'd appreciate it um we put up our doll sheep hunt and our first ever elk hunt video those are live uh, we did get one comment on the elk hunt about editing a certain part out because what we did was illegal so i just want to address that real quick. Thank you for the comment. However, um, when you take, you know, an entire hunt and try to cut it down into a 10 minute video, there are certain things that, uh, are not included. So the 10 minute clip that you see is not every single thing that happened. Um, so in that hunt and what the, uh, the comment was is I'm holding the elk and I said, Hey, I shot this elk uh, and Garrett hit it with an arrow just to make it sure it went down. Um, and that is what I said at the time of the hunt uh, on that video seven years ago. Um, the details of what really happened. First of all, I guess they said, you know, someone else can't shoot for you. Um, that is illegal in New Mexico. Well, let me just address that by saying, you know, Garrett had a tag and his bow and I had a tag in my bow. Uh, neither of us had filled our tags and um when i shot my elk garrett was probably 10 yards to my right and we weren't sure exactly if i hit it or not because as crazy as it sounds that elk ran 20 yards stopped broadside and there was not a drop of blood or anything on the elk so what you don't see in the video is garrett going did you hit it and i'm like i thought i did but there's no blood i don't know so garrett's like a legal hunter with a tag and so therefore he shot an arrow and what you again don't see in the video is us running up to my arrow to be like did I hit it or not because there was no blood Uh and until I actually touched my arrow and saw the blood on the arrow that is when uh, I knew that oh I did hit the elk and then when we walk up to the elk that's why we're so excited and you know I have the audio cut out but that's when I'm like oh man we hit him right through the well I hit him right through the shoulder so uh I just want to address that so I don't think there's anything illegal uh with that we both had tags and at the end of the day he thought I missed and and he shot it so um if that is illegal then uh uh, it'd be pretty tough to not break the law because how the hell would I know that any elk that uh, is walking by me some other hunter might not have shot at first and missed so Anyway, just want to address that, Garrett. What's your two cents on the on the story? It's...
2: I'm just amazed with YouTube comments in general. Like <clears throat> that, you could watch that whole thing, and that's the only sentence you could come up with is uh, <laughs> is picking that out or like sending it privately. It reminded me of my uncle, which I gave him a hard time for when I took Maverick out my son uh, last year on his like first squirrel hunt. It was ended up being like the most the luckiest day for him. He shot a uh, a red squirrel and then a gray squirrel and then a fox squirrel. And I've never even shot a fox squirrel in my life. And he was only six years old at the time, and he got all three types of squirrels in one day. And I posted it on Facebook. I think it was Facebook at the time. Maybe it was Instagram. I don't know. How? It, whatever the whatever it was was like. My uncle immediately called me. Or he texted me and was like, um, hey, uh, you got to get that that picture off there. You can't shoot red squirrels in Pennsylvania. And I'm like, well, I just completely ignored it. And I was so pissed off. I'm like, first of all, you can. It's perfectly legal. Didn't check the book and wasn't like, oh, great, Maverick's first hunt ever. He was successful. And maybe you should, uh, like, check on – like, it just made me mad. I felt like (laughs) some people just, like, only look for the tiny negative piece in a story i don't know why but uh it comes off as annoying to me
0: yeah and it's it's hard because on a youtube comment you don't know is this guy like being sincere is he not yeah is he
2: just like maybe on... he only had five seconds he was like hey maybe you should tell these guys uh to look out for that yeah you know but, i read and it, goes... it and i'm like you know go pound sand pal yeah
0: so anyway it is what it is uh if if that's illegal, then I think everybody breaks the law because uh, how the hell would you ever know if someone else shot at an elk before you shoot at it? But that's about as yeah. much as tension as uh, I'm going to uh, give that question. But just thought I'd address it. I don't really feel like getting in a uh, a YouTube comment battle with someone, so I just kind of ignored the comment and didn't uh, didn't reply anything to it. So so one other thing, Garrett, how's it going with the with the dogs? You got any left? Any still for sale?
2: Nope. No dogs left. Um, actually went really, really well. I think everybody's extremely happy. Um, I got seven out of the 11 people are NAVDA registering and planning on testing. So I'm really excited to, uh, to hear how the puppies do with the tests. And, um, you know, if everything goes well, I might do the same breeding again, or, you know, we'll just, Play it by ear here. ear out what the future holds for the kennel but went great
0: nice nice i'm glad i mean I'm, I'm glad they're happy now um i don't know how well hound dogs that uh identify as pointers are gonna <laughs> do during the uh the nab test but uh i'm glad they're happy now <laughs> uh, i'm just messing with you um all right guys so you're back does it suck to be back in the real world or are you guys like excited to be back
1: Home. I mean, I was I was excited to be back just because you know it's a long week and a lot of miles. And I was. uh I mean, it feels good to say, but I was sore from packing elk. <laughs> so <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's but, a good reason. <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, my hips were happy to have the to have a couple of days off in a the row there for sure. It was that was the one thing I lacked in my training maybe the most was the, that much weight hiking with. So how many? So my hips.
0: Your hips are sore. You're saying.
1: Yeah, they were. They're, they're better now, but they were sore for a couple days for sure.
0: How many trips did you guys go back and forth total for the weekend? I had out.
1: three. I had three pack out trips. And, well, you had two, yeah,
2: <clears throat> Two yeah. lighter ones. Mine weren't too bad.
0: So, uh, how was the drive? How long did it take you guys to get there?
2: It ended up being uh, 27 and a half on the way out, 30 on the way back.
0: All right, that's not too, too bad. I'm guessing you guys just rotated through.
2: Yeah, I, the way, the way the elk killing ended up, it was kind of tough on the way back because we killed Friday night, which is our last evening hunt. And we thought, yeah, we could still kill one technically Saturday morning. Um, We ended up, you know, packing out Saturday morning, getting back around two and leaving around three. And you know, I only had a couple hours to sleep and I, I I really struggled. I wasn't much of a help of a driver on the way home. Yeah, I, sounds I mean I tried, but
1: it it was it was tough. Finishing You're an it. elk pack
0: out at two and then hopping in the truck at three, forget it. Yeah, that's rough. Yeah.
1: Yeah, he didn't put on the best co-pilot performance ever that evening, I'll tell you that. <laughs> I was falling asleep and thinking it was literally like 15 seconds,
2: and I would look at the clock,
1: and it was like 30 minutes. <laughs> I was a one-man band driving home you know, from 2.30 in the morning to 3. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's
0: awesome. So, so Garrett, how about you, man? Were you glad
2: to be back, or what? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's... it's uh, everything was in my life nothing simple I like, over complicated make it harder it needs to be whenever I'm out there hunting like that and I can actually clear my mind completely and just just focus on elk I don't think like I really worried about anything but you know the simple I say the grind but it wasn't even that much of a grind it was it was a fairly easy trip it was just you know marching most of the time, sometimes sneaking, uh, one foot after the other man. And then whenever you get into the elk, I feel like it, uh, it takes so much of your brain power to like, to just get all that stuff, like the wind, what should you do? Calling, get the, you know, the thermals. It's actually like a lot to think about and a lot to physically do. And I just live in that like I live in the moment out there, which is fantastic, so that was like a nice break. But then when I come back, it's almost like I have a hard time adjusting to uh to like the shit or the suck that uh that I gotta deal with at work or whatever where you know if I just go there every day, it's not such a big deal but once again, I'm both glad to be back to see my family and everything, and it's uh I'm getting back to the norm right now.
0: That's, uh, that's what you described is pretty much exactly how I am. You know, on the last day, I'm excited to kind of get back with family and, and see everyone. And about a day later, I'm like, oh man, I wish I was back in the woods just hunting and not worrying about any of this shit, but that's life, man. We work these jobs so we can get away and, uh, and go hunting every once in a while.
2: I, uh, sometimes envy the caveman. <laughs> yeah, they had
0: it made. Until they they uh, didn't get an elk and starved to death and died.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't thinking about the hard times.
0: <laughs> so, all right. So you guys get out there and you start hunting. How'd you guys? Uh, what was your plan? How'd you end up hunting? Were you guys calling? Were you trying to like spot and stalk? Like, what was the? Uh, were they bugling? Give me give me the lowdown on uh, what was going on and how you guys kind of got into the hunts.
2: Um, I'm going to let Joe take this one, but I have to let all the listeners know that he has a, him and Neil both have a slight love affair with the Born and Raised Outdoors Boys. So they um, they had the uh, an elk attack plan in mind. And not that I was against it, I just kind of made fun of them for being fanboys. But um, yeah, I'll let Joe explain more.
0: I literally have no idea what the hell you just said, but go ahead, Joe, explain to me.
2: (laughs) Joe
1: knows. Yeah, yeah, I know. Well, I'll I'll first explain what he's talking about as our plan of attack. We had uh, big plans of uh, going after bedded bulls that we could try and locate by their bugles and then sneak in pretty close and uh, set up a, a cow call followed by a challenge sequence if we could get them to bugle back. And, you know, face that just kind of going into their bedroom where we know they're bedded and kind of force the issue to call them in. That's what, that's what Garrett was referring to. I actually wasn't, I don't think, I don't think one time we were a part of trying that, and it didn't pan out. But uh, as far as the way we started out the hunt, uh, the first day, me and Rick, Garrett's dad, were with the guide, and uh, we, we were kind of going out there take it easy for the first day. And then Neil and Garrett were hunting together the first day, but we, uh, we weren't the guy and we kind of took it easy because of my history of the altitude sickness problems I have. And, uh, you know, Rick just getting his legs underneath him out there for, you know, really his first real hunt out West. And we kind of, we basically started out the morning, just doing calling and doing a little bit of glass and from some high points morning. And then basically sat out there, you know, midday did uh, occasional calling and moving and then the evenings just uh, a little bit of calling and trying to catch them on a feed pattern but uh that was the majority of the first day so i was actually going to
0: ask you about that that was one of my questions so the altitude sickness that did hit you you were feeling it
1: uh, no i actually like i said i took it real i said i took it easy the first day we we probably did you know seven or eight miles <laughs> this kid sat his mind hard on
2: drinking two gallons of water within two hours like when we got pretty close i've never seen anyone pound water like that in my life it reminded me of the old uh, edward scissors hands or edward 40 hands when we were in college <laughs> take the
1: 40s to your hand and pound them down yeah man i mean i was i was at it like i was very diligent like i had a gallon water jug in my hand as soon as we rolled into new mexico and i was just hammering but uh, like I said, it paid off. I didn't feel a lick of the altitude sickness at all. But I said, on the same token, though, no, I did take a, a slow day the first day, and uh, acclimated. So I said it. I went it was as good as I could have hoped for. I mean, as far as on that front.
0: Yeah the but, uh, the uh, camp there, if I recall correctly, you're you guys are around like ten thousand feet, right?
2: Yeah, we're yeah yeah, yeah between me... nine five and ten two most of the time.
0: Gotcha. Gary, you got me thinking about Edward 40 hands now.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm thinking there's no way
0: I could win that game without pissing myself at least three times nowadays.
2: Yeah. (laughs) I have two vivid minds, or vivid pictures in my mind. One of my buddy trying to get his pants down to pee and peeing all through his sweatpants, and the other standing above a sink with like his hands out to his sides taped to 40s, just puking his guts out in the sink (laughs) one of of my two favorite memories
0: i think uh sorry we're going down a total rabbit hole that has nothing to do with hunting and fishing but uh i remember (laughs) one one instance where i had to pee so bad I, i finished both 40s but i couldn't get them off my hands and i was pulling the duct tape so hard and the whole thing just broke and went flying through the air, and my buddy Corey was mid story, and this 40 just smashed him right in the face, busted his lip open. He's bleeding. and he can't do anything because he's got the 40 taped to his hands. Oh, man. That was epic. All right. Anyway, sorry. Back to the elk hunt. Um, all right. So, day one, you guys took it kind of easy. Garrett, how about you guys? What was your plan of attack? Because I thought, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I figured at that time, you guys hit the perfect timing with like the rut. I hunted out there at that time uh, once, and there was a lot of bugles, especially sunrise and sunset, where we'd just be kind of hearing the bugles and, and, and chasing the elk. It, was that not the case um, when you guys got there?
2: Um, yes and no. I mean, there were two days that were kind of kind of poor, but... In general, I would say, yeah. I mean, there were just, there was a lot of elk all the time there. Um, Yeah, it's hard to sum up when you hunt for, we hunted, what, six and a half days straight? Yeah. All day long, pretty, almost all the days. And then you have, like, these almost 15 to 20 elk encounters in your mind, and they all kind of took a couple minutes so out of those couple minutes, you know, that sums up maybe, like, less than 3% of your hunting time. But it seems like when you come back, that was your whole trip, you know, these exciting parts. because so that's what you remember. But um, anyhow, to, to, not, to not drag it on, the, uh, our first day was the opposite of taking it easy. I went with Neil. If I could describe his personality in a nutshell, he's uh, tough and stubborn. Um, but he's not one to like prepare himself for a hunt physically. Um, and he, what the heck's Cam doing back there?
0: You can hear him. Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Holy cow. I can't believe he's coming through on this mic. Uh, yeah, he's in the playroom on the complete opposite end of the house. (laughs) Yelling for mama,
2: but we're sitting in my barn. You can probably hear the ski field pounding from across the way over here, but (laughs) But don't worry, I can,
0: I can edit him out. So sorry. No,
2: he's good. I just wanted to acknowledge him, say hey. Uh, so yeah, we started walking. Me and Neil and I'm, I would say physically, I'm in a lot better shape than him. Probably not as mentally and physically, just flat out tough. But um, anyhow, yeah, we started, we started walking, and it got. We did a little bit of steel hunting, but mainly we were just chasing bugles. And then it got to be maybe 10 o'clock in the morning, and we already had like eight and a half miles on. I mean, we ended up just walking super fast for <laughs> and super far, and it got to the point where like we needed to slow down a little bit. Um, but we ended up that day putting on, I think my phone said something like uh, almost 17 miles and 140 floors. Wow. Like climbing, it was for our first day out there. It was a lot. Um, it was kind of slow. We were, we did catch a bedded bull, and like I said, Neil's on that born and raised outdoors. As you asked earlier, they they're YouTube guys, and they have some really good elk videos out there. Um, I don't know a whole lot about them, but Joe Joe follows them pretty close. But yeah, they were we. So we wanted to sneak in and, and you know try screaming at them and pissing them off um you know in the bed in the afternoon
0: how close were you
2: well (laughs) it was it was kind of a funny story because when you're not when you don't hunt out there all the time you kind of lose track of the topography so we had him bugling on on a straight line he was fairly close and then we went down like over a ledge that turned out it was kind of a bull that we like wrapped around and i had a feeling whenever we went about 300 yards that we had about another 500 to go. And Neil was convinced we were right on top of it. So, you know, he started calling, and I think he started calling a little bit too far away. And then we went another 500 where about I thought we should have been, and we were still too far away. So he was about a 1,000 yards off. I was about 300 yards off of where the elk was because We actually never got him to bugle again, so the the tactic wasn't going to work anyhow, but we did end up jumping him out of the bed as we were sneaking through um, because we figured we probably bumped him at that point, as much noise as we were making. But he never bugled back or anything. Um, You know, The smarter play would have been probably just to to back off, but at this point it's 11 in the morning, and I don't think we felt like sitting there until uh, 6 o'clock in the evening waiting for him to come down. Um, so we kept walking. We realized we were out of water and we could have went down a really steep hill to the creek and got water. We decided to try to go back. He didn't have a starry pen. We only had, uh, eight ounces of water a piece whenever we left or maybe more like 12, 12, ounces of water. That was good planning,
0: but there's a lot of water yeah. out there, right? <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah. When you were there and it was raining, um, so we went back. Another, you know, four or five miles, and tried to find a creek, and there was nothing. And then, you know, I did started to get some headaches, but we hunted the rest of the day and never came across any water. So, <laughs> you know, we did, we did all that with about on ten ounces of water the first day out there. But both of us were fine, really, other than some midday I felt almost more like heat headaches. And then in the evening, we ended up seeing a lot of elk. Um, we had, you know, he was calling, I was trying to sneak in. Uh we just happened upon a couple bulls. I think we saw four bulls, had had them be going at us. I mean, it was exciting in the evening, just never made anything happen. And uh yeah, headed headed back. We were about four or five miles deep at dark.
0: So you guys um so then you're you're basically trying to get in and do some kind of calling, whether it was getting a bull all out I'll of its bed it. but you guys were you guys were uh not trying to ambush hunt or anything like that on like a water hole or a wallow you went straight for the let's hear him let's go after him and try to call him in for sure and and just so people understand um we've drawn this tag a couple times i've been out there a few times garrett's been out there this is his second time and as you know from the other podcast we found a couple really good areas for elk so this isn't like normal where day one everybody's in elk this is we already know the area and it's 90 percent of it so we're in areas that we know typically hold elk so it's uh not your normal you know first day of elk hunting out west and you're into all these elk it can be but we happen to know oh. the area and found it after a couple of days on our first hunt
2: that's correct there's no way that that would be like a uh new completely new area that I think we could have got onto that many elk, even in the first four days, let alone the first day. Yeah.
0: All right. So, um, real quick when you guys, uh, cause I know we talked about this Garrett, but we got there when you guys got there, uh, was it you or was it Neil? You guys shot your bow and, and one guy was missing the target. Did something get bumped or, um, I totally forgot about that because I remember you mentioned something briefly to me before.
2: No, I just, yeah, I was kind of, Neil did miss a target one time um, at 40 yards. But I just, I was really surprised because of how, like, and this is something I thought of, too, that, that I kind of had the problem with um, competitive archery and target archery because I got so used to, like, you know shooting those papers in the league I was in and then sitting in my yard and and actually worrying about hitting a 50 cent piece every time at 20 yards. Then when I went out there I don't know if it was the car ride, I don't know, I just didn't feel right. My my head wasn't in archery mode and I was shooting at 40 yards 6 to 8 inch groups, which is the worst I've shot ever all summer. And it really got in my head. You know that that I shouldn't say really got in my head, but I had to like really, I had to really bear down mentally and be like, you know what? At forty yards, all of those shots would be a perfect vital kill on an elk. You know what I mean? Even though they would score terribly, and and the the perfect archers, and you know, maybe I shouldn't think that way. I should be more of a professionalist or perfectionist, but uh, I just I just didn't feel right. And Neil was shooting, and he was a, a good bit worse than me. And he was like, "Yeah, I just think it's the rod, you know, whatever, whatever it was." He wasn't consistently missing. He had one. He did have one miss, but he's like, "I've missed a target, you know, the entire year." Well, you're being
0: you a little know? nicer now that you know I'm recording on a podcast. When you <laughs> when you first told me the story,
1: yeah, was, I don't know it why it was a little bit Nice either. <laughs> this guy
2: busted my balls the entire trip. <laughs> but um, yeah, I guess I was trying to make it seem more dramatic when I was talking to you, but I shot poorly and yet yeah, you'll miss the target once and he shot bad. So not that there was any problems. We just, just, uh, our heads were just kind of like, we were rushing around getting camp up and it then was we threw up a target and almost dark. And then we just tried to shoot a couple
1: and it wasn't good. Gotcha. Um, so- what in the hell is going on? Are there
0: crickets out
2: there, or is that over by me? No, that's here. We're down in the barn again. Oh, okay. Or the sawmill. This is the perfect spot for a to-do podcast. I should set up a studio again. <laughs> <laughs> it could be our listeners, too. Oh. Oh.
0: Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's probably it. You got a crowd out there? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um... So, all right, never mind then. So, it doesn't sound like it was as bad as you uh, originally told me. I thought uh, I thought you guys had some issues and maybe had to recite your in. but... Well, oh, we, we did have
1: to recite some in, but we'll wait to get to that later. Okay. All right.
0: So, day one is down. Well, what'd you guys do? So, so day two, same kind of group. And you guys had the outfitter, right? You said, uh, um, Joe, you went out with the outfitter the first day?
1: Yeah, you said I was with the guide the first day and the second day, so the second day was an extremely, extremely busy day, or, you know, adventurous day for me. I, uh, me and Neil went with the guide, and uh, Garrett was going to hunt with his dad. So uh, we we took off. We we were going into a, basically part of the area that Garrett and Neil went into the day before. We were just kind of going in with the guide hoping to learn something, you know, learn some tactics. This guide seemed extremely well-traveled. I mean, he does a lot of elk hunts every year. He's been doing it for 30 years, just a really neat guy. We were hoping to learn a lot from him. So uh, we we were, you know, started out in the morning. It was it was rainy day. We were all rain-geared up. Uh, we were, I don't know, it was about 8.30 in the morning or so. We were standing up on top. We were kind of walking around, and he was using like the cow calls as a locator. I mean, he this guy had a external read that was just that just carried like nothing I've ever heard before. I mean, he was using that to get try and get bulls to bugle.
2: You know what kind it was?
1: I do not actually. He was trying to show me. That, he, he's going to send
2: me some. Uh, he said if I send him his address, he had a group of guys that make these calls. He doesn't even know if they still make them, but they gave him like a gallon baggie of like 20, he said. Oh, wow. He'd send me one. Super small, but it's loud as hell. It has a double
1: chamber on it.
0: Oh, wow. So they use that instead of like a a bugle to get him to bugle back. That's interesting. Yeah, that
1: was his, that's what he kind of liked that. I mean, he had a bugle too, and he would hit that occasionally, but he seemed to like the cow call as his go to for that. Just his, you know, his style, his preference. And and it, it was working to some degree. So we were standing there, you know, we're kind of walking along the top of a mesa, and we're bu- and we're bugling and cow calling mostly cow calling down off the sides, trying you know as a locator. So we were standing there, you know, me and Neil and the guide within you know ten feet of each other, and you know just kind of standing there while he's sitting. these low. We walked to you know probably four or five hundred yards from the last time we hit the locator, and then we we were just we just stopped. It was raining a little bit. And he hit that locator, you know, I don't know, he hit the cow call probably three or four times, and then he bugled once, then he hit the cow call a couple more times, and we're just standing there, and all of a sudden I hear a branch break, and here comes this this uh, small spike bull running it right to us. It gets <laughs> to a, I mean, like, we were just kind of standing there with our hands on our hips, like, not paying attention at all, and it ran into 20 yards and stopped and looked at us. I mean, it just had us dead pegged. We, were, we weren't like in the trees or nothing. We're kind of standing in the open. And so, you know, Neil's whispering, to, uh, you know, knock an arrow. And it's, look, I'm, it's looking right at us. So I'm standing there waiting. And eventually it starts to not like the situation a little bit. And so it turns to walk away. I knock an arrow as quickly as I can. I, I tell Neil to give me a range. And it's kind of walking away like this thing wasn't the smartest animal that I've ever came across, but it started walking away and Neil goes, and the, uh, the guy that actually hit the cow call and it stopped and looked and Neil goes, he, he said he says 37, but I heard 47 and I uh, and it was a slight downhill and I got down, I touched off, I thought it was a pretty good shot and it went right over the top of it back ah. stuck in it. but uh so you know i'm there I, I can't believe i missed my opportunity you know trying you're know, trying to do this for years and there there it goes and that thing just it ran a little bit and it stopped and now it just keeps circling around like it wants to get our wind and it's going to give us another shot and i'm like this is unbelievable so like i knock another arrow and i spin around and it and it's coming it's fun it came back out and you'll got a range on it again. And I, I drew back, and I heard him. He said, "Clear as day, 45. Once again, the guy stopped with a cow call, perfect shot, broadside. I, I went back, and I got excited, and I jumped on the trigger real hard. And that arrow hit that bull square in the shoulder blade, like right in, the, right in the middle. Probably not three inches of penetration, and it, it just stuck there. The bull, the bull ran twenty-five yards, stopped. And, uh, all but had the arrow pulled out before it went out of sight and, uh, no blood. I mean, it was raining, but there was no blood. Uh, the elk walked away unharmed and, uh, well, I shouldn't say unharmed. It, I said, I don't think it was a mortal, mortal wound, but, uh, it walked away and that was that I missed my opportunity and I had, uh, a yeah, yeah, non-fatal shot.
0: That's freaking wild, man. So hang on. I got to, I got, we got to rewind a little bit. So the guide, when he's calling, you guys would go like four or 500 yards and then he'd call again?
1: Oh, I I mean, it depends on where, like where we are at. We were basically just trying to make sure we could get in the ear of any elk from where we were at.
0: Gotcha. So depending on the terrain, he might do it more often or less often.
1: They're basically walking on a
2: flat on the very top overlooking like a canyon. Yep. So they would call down into the canyon and then walk like, you know, a quarter mile call again to make sure any elk down there would hear those calls. And if they were there, respond. Gotcha. Okay. So,
0: um, so this thing, when it starts coming at you guys, how far away was it? Do you think, do you think it was close and you guys just didn't spook it and it came running in or you think he was far off and he came, he came running in from a, from a ways to get,
1: I'm guessing he was. I was guessing he was pretty close. Okay. I was guessing whenever whenever we started calling, he was probably 150 or you know, I 200 yards maybe. And I think he's just like, you know, young, young, fuzzy horn spike that he was just trying to find the herd. I'm not sure if he got separated, but he just seemed like he was coming, like he was almost reckless abandon, like running. But uh, yeah, it was. They said they said that uh, 400 yards. I mean, sometimes it was 100, depending on you know the terrain and everything. But 400 was how far we went since the last one.
0: Yeah, and you guys don't. Uh, it sounds like you, you you didn't have an arrow knocked, right? No,
1: except you know, in hindsight, you know, I guess they say always be prepared, and I've heard that you know numerous times. But we weren't. We are. Were, we figured we'd hear a bull bugle. You'd have plenty of time to you know get ready and everything. And that's just not how it worked out. I mean, it was on top of us, like none of us saw it until it was probably 35 yards away and it was jogging in like i said and it stopped because it saw us you know that yeah. stuff.
0: well garrett probably knows from hunting with me i'm weird like that like i typically always have an arrow knocked uh and ready to roll when i'm kind of hunting however uh that's a good learning i mean next time someone yeah. stops to call you know, you never know. Have an arrow knock before they make that call just in case something does come ripping yeah, and you're ready right then and there.
2: It's easy to say that, but, I mean, you do that literally a hundred times a day. Like, I I just, I don't know. I, I don't think every single time you call, you should. You
0: know, I always just, keep one knocked. like, I'd say 90% of the time. Now, when me and you were, like, covering ground to get to an area... No, I obviously don't have one knocked. I might even not even have my bow oh no, I have it in my hand. But uh but when we get into like an area with elk, I don't know why. I always just knock an arrow just oh. in case some shit. Well, I happens. mean
2: if I hear them, yeah, if I hear them at all for sure, if we're like doing any type of setup, but yeah. Uh I d I don't know. I think it, it's a little bit crazy to just knock every time you blow on an elk
0: call. R- Random question Do you keep an arrow knocked in your tree stand when you're deer hunting?
1: Hell
0: no! See, I always do.
1: I do too, Bob. I always have. I have it on my moment. lap
0: with <laughs> yeah. an arrow knocked and 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 just sitting there, just in case something comes ripping in. I'm ready to roll.
1: I don't have to move. But yeah, uh,
2: yeah, I, I do. Now that I don't know why I said hell no, <laughs> <laughs> I guess there's you no know, there's never a time when I'm when I'm sitting just sitting there waiting that I don't have a knock gotcha
0: so so getting back to i don't
2: know i don't know what went through my head what situation i was thinking why i wouldn't have it knocked but i do always knock one.
0: so uh, i guess
2: i guess the big difference i went from taking my quiver off putting it underneath me to now i just hung with all my arrows on my bow and
0: oh you keep the cool. quiver on
2: yes yeah. well it's a it's a quiver that doesn't it's not detachable anymore. okay gotcha
0: so let's go back to the shot now. So you hit it in the shoulder, and and it didn't. You didn't obviously get much penetration. What what were you shooting again? You had the Rage broadheads and Eastern Axis arrow, and you're shooting what 60, 65 pounds.
1: Uh, yeah, a little over sixty five pounds.
0: Man, I'm shocked. Um, I mean, it
1: must. Like I said. I mean, it. Like I said, it. Like I said obviously. I mean, it was crushing. I was very deflated and very down. But, like I said, it, it, it didn't go in far enough where the arrow wouldn't even hold up where it was stuck in. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It was, it was sagging, and it was—
0: Yeah, like, hang, just barely yeah. hanging there.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was—like it was like I said, the shot, I mean, only missed the mark by—I mean, obviously, it wasn't—it was a couple inches, but it was like—it just squared up. I mean, whatever hit in the shoulder, it was— it was Yeah, maybe when to that blade
0: when that blade opened, it took a little bit of the energy. You know what I mean? And and yeah, and for sure, all that penetration. Because I know uh, my buddy Max when we went, he actually was all nervous because he hit one straight in the shoulder. But he was using a fixed blade, and yeah. um, again, not saying that that's the reason. I have no freaking clue why or why not. All I know is that he shot one, and uh, it went in probably you know halfway a, into the elk and he found that one that thing died pretty quick but uh but again that's a uh, different setup different situation and, and his shot might have been a lot closer to who knows
2: well i think there's a lot of a lot of uh fine new details like if you're a half inch this way a half inch that way if you look at that shoulder blade if you ever see like a, just one laying out in the in a field somewhere where you know, an elk has died. That shoulder blade looks like half of an I beam, like an I beam without a bottom flange on it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like it's a big, thick bone, and then there's that there's that perpendicular part that would be like the part of the I beam. And if you would hit that, I don't care what you hit it with, out of a bow, you're not going to drive through that. If you shot ninety pounds with uh, the heaviest arrow and a fixed blade. If you hit that I
1: beam part of it, you're just not gonna go through it with a bow. It's too thick. And I do kinda like I whenever I was preparing for this hunt in my mind I wanted to shoot six blades. I liked the idea of like you said, keeping the energy as much as possible. But I mean, if you remember from the last podcast that's having problems with them shooting and just kinda figured the accuracy would matter more than uh, than the you know, the energy at that point. Yeah,
0: and if and, and honestly, to be quite honest, if you if you were pretty amped up and you gotta you're torquing the bow and you punch the trigger. You could exactly. have that freaking thing fishtailing down there, and it wasn't like a perfectly flying arrow. So there can be tons of factors that impact yeah, the flight and the energy versus just the broadhead. You know?
1: Yeah, I agree with you 100. So,
0: so man, that's a bummer. That uh, yeah,
1: I was, I was, I was beating myself up pretty bad. You know, I've I've had that problem before. You know, with deer and such, and I hate it. And it, but, uh, you know, like I said, I guess the nice thing about it is, like. You know, you're out here with your buddies and, you know, I was on with Neil and, you know, Neil, you know, has a lot of time and money invested in going out into the sun. So it's like, there's no time to sit around and boohoo for yourself. You know, you just, you take it up and keep going, you know. It can all change in a second,
0: man. It can all change in a second.
1: Yeah. And I said, it was good because, you know, you start walking and you just, you know, you get back to work and it's just, you forget about it sooner. So that was good for me. But, but yeah, it was, it was tough. I mean you work you know you work all summer to shoot and practice and you know to get perfect for that moment and then you know it goes south on you but i, I mean i believe that that, that elk's fine i said so i don't it, it it looked okay it walked away i mean you had a little wind to it but i mean it was i don't believe it's dead so did
0: you find your arrow
1: no they like said it, it it was it was it had it all but out but we didn't we but yeah didn't did not find the arrow okay Oh, shit. All right. Yeah. So that was, like I said, that was the morning rain. We, uh, you know, we, we messed around with that for a while, looking for blood and stuff like that for, I don't know, an hour in total or something like that. And, uh, you know, eventually we just kept moving on, and, you know, kept running. We got into some, uh, a couple more bugling bulls that we, uh, we tried to call, you know, to no avail. They kind of called back once or twice and then shut up. And that was the... uh Extended the morning, you know, we took a, we took an afternoon nap and then whenever it started getting later in the evening, we started running, you know, kept that playbook going, you know, further and further along this ridge. And, uh, it was just about getting to dark whenever we got to, you know, I don't know, I guess it wasn't that, it was probably 6.30, it was probably dark around 7.30 whenever we got the first bugle from this pool. And it was, you know, I don't know, probably 500 feet of elevation below us. Whenever we started calling, did you guess, Garrett?
2: Yeah, from that, from the top of that mesa to the bottoms,
1: up more like 600. Yeah, between yeah. 500 and 700. Yeah, and we guessed he was at the bottom, down at the creek. You know, whenever we first heard him, you could barely hear him. And he, I said he was just blowing that cow call like so loud. Like I mean, it was amazing how loud. It and they it, it said it bugled twice at about the same spot. And about the third time it bugled back, you could tell it had chopped a large chunk of the distance off. And so by then, like now, they like said, you know, us lo- having learned from our mistakes, we're all knocked up with arrows and ranging everything in sight. And it, uh he slowly cow called it. I think he had one or two real light bugles, not aggressive. And then just cow called that thing. And it came straight up the hill. Like I said, me and Neil were standing up on like at the top of these like eight foot ledges around, like I was on one side of the corner and he was on the other. And that thing stopped and bugled at about 50 yards. I couldn't see it, but you could just tell it was right on top of us. And it was really cool because I was, you know, I don't know, 15 feet from Neil, but I couldn't see what he could see. And so I got to watch him draw back, you know, and I could see saw in any letdown down. He took two steps to the right. I saw him draw back again. And, like, the first time he drew back, I couldn't see his finger go for the trigger, so I knew he wasn't ready to shoot. And that second time, whenever I saw him slip his finger over the trigger, I was like, oh, man. And I started shaking. Like, I wasn't even <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't even shooting, and I started shaking. And I said, from where I was at, he touched off, and you heard that, like, perfect pumpkin sound, that, that thump when it hit. And I'm like, man, he just nailed it. And then, like, he immediately kind of hunched and was like, didn't, didn't like the shot. And so, like, you know, we're sitting there listening. You could hear it run off, and the the, uh, the guide hit the bugle trying to stop it. it. It definitely didn't stop. You could hear it keep running. And then we're kind of just standing there listening, and all once you heard it crash. Like I said, I've never, never heard one crash before, but it is very obvious.
0: <laughs> and, uh,
1: so, yeah, he shot a, a, a decent six-by-six. Yeah, uh, that's debatable. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, it was, it was a really nice bowl, but the 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 top splits were definitely one side you can count six, one was five. But we were I was teasing him the whole time. <laughs> he would act like he didn't care and he would be like, Would well, you seriously think that's a six by six or a five <laughs> by six? <laughs> I don't know, just messing with him. Nice. So but, was
0: it the shot obviously was good then. It wasn't as bad as he thought.
1: Yeah, he, he was uh I said, you know, we talked about this in the last episode, too, is it was back and, it, and it, it it was so close that he went in high and back. But, I mean, he got lungs for sure. And uh, I said, you can tell by the blood and everything, he 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 got lungs and the fact that it died so fast, he, he got lungs. Yeah,
0: but, I mean, uh, the, the lungs on an elk, it's a pretty big target you got, you know, as long as you don't hit the shoulder, obviously, and you're a little yes. behind. And, and the one thing that I learned is they go up high but they're not all that low because the one elk that I shot, I, uh, you know, on a whitetail where you try to think of like low and behind the shoulder, that was not the, uh, the best thing for an elk. So, um, yeah, if he got him high, even if it's a little far back, it sounds like he definitely caught the lungs cause that thing died pretty quick.
1: Yeah. I so said it was great. We went down and we, we recovered it in the daylight and got some pictures with it, you know, spent you know, a couple hours getting it cleaned up and, Hung some up in the tree, and then we each had a bag of meat. And the guide had the bag straps and the antlers, and we took off. And that we that hike out was tough. There was a, like I said, whenever we shot the bull at the very top of the mesa, and of course whenever we shot it, it turned around and ran 150 yards straight down the hill. And uh, it was a tough back out, but it was uh, my first real pack out. I mean, I did a, a light pack last year on a flat hiking trail, but this was altogether different. So I mean, that was cool. I thought was Kind of wanted that experience, so I really enjoyed that part.
0: But. Yeah, and it's always I, nice, man, to get back to the truck after a pack out. God, that feeling is amazing. It's it's, oh, a, it's a good kind of suck. It, it sucks, is, like but said, it's a it's a good suck.
1: Yeah, like I said, I mean that was like it was probably three and a half miles. You know, I don't. I would guess I'd have somewhere between forty and fifty pounds, you know, meat on my back. And like I said, but you know, I was smiling the whole time, man. You know, that's what we're there for. It was. I I loved every second of it. I said my hips didn't love every second of it.
2: But.
0: <laughs> so, um, the guide did he bring that bull in the whole way just cow calling, or did he bugle it all too on that one?
1: He bugled. He bugled. I think twice whenever okay. it was coming in, and whenever I like I said he was really good because I had like I'm just one of the people that ask a million questions about why you're doing what you're doing, and he he was really good about answering it. And he was when whenever he was describing what he was doing, he said he just wanted to let that other bull know there was. A bull around, and I'm not sure why he wanted that, but that's what he said he was doing. But they they weren't like aggressive, angry bugles. They were just a a light, light locator type bugle. Right. Two of those in the way, in, and the rest of them were cow calls. But like I said, like I said he struck him up from a couple hundred yards with that cow call. I was very impressed. It would have been yeah more than a couple hundred. Yeah, from the bottom of that
2: creek to where it is, I'm going to say it's a half a mile. Yeah, I mean, I I was thinking like 700, 800 yards. Yeah, that's yeah, it's close enough. Yeah. 800 yards is
0: half a mile. <laughs> That's just
1: rounding. 800 meters is half a mile, dude.
0: <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And you guys got that, the three, of you took that out in one trip, or did you have to go back and get more?
1: We had one, one bag of meat left that Neil went and got by himself the next day. Gotcha. But and you hung they, it all we, up, we are, you
0: butchered it, and you, you said you were hanging the meat?
1: Yep, we hung the meat in, in bags in, in a tree.
0: What was the temperature like out there that day?
1: During the day, I don't know, it wasn't that, I mean, during the middle of the day, it was probably 70-couple degrees. It was raining and overcast that day. Ooh, ooh. It, it sun came out in the middle of the day, there for a while, I it was mid-70s. Yeah. Probably 40-couple overnight.
0: Okay, yeah, so you had it all cooled down and up in a tree. Oh, yeah.
1: Yep, yep. Awesome.
0: So, that was it for the guide, right? He's there for two days and and, uh, and done, correct?
2: Yep, that was it. He did have to come back the following day because he left his $3,000 range finding Swarovski Swarovski? Swarovski. binoculars. uh, Say it? Swarovski. Okay,
0: thanks.
2: (laughs) Uh, He left him up there with the elk, so he had to count on Neil bringing him back.
0: Oh, yeah, that's definitely worth coming back for. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. So how about you, Garrett? Let's... uh... Let's hear your side of things. Okay,
2: hey, I just got to say here, we're getting pretty far in, and we're only on day two, so I got time tonight. I think we can just keep rolling, but we might want to two part this. Yeah, we will. Yeah, no, nope, no doubt about it. And I, I don't have
0: uh, all that much time. I probably got to stop at eight thirty, so we'll stop it where we get to it, and we'll we'll, we'll part two it, no doubt.
2: Okay. Oh, so, so anyhow. Oh,
0: wait, hang on, going back, going back. So obviously you guys didn't get the pack horses like you talked
2: about No, you didn't need them. When I said that, I think you thought more like that was part of our plan. That was like plan, uh, F. Okay. You know what I mean? That, that was just like, if we got ourselves in a serious pinch, um, we didn't actually even get any numbers. We just kind of knew where some guides were maybe located in the unit. And we were just going to like try to drive there and ask them. Okay. Gotcha. All right, um, so
0: never mind. So continue on. Go ahead your side of it, Garrett.
2: Yeah, uh, day two with my dad was one of the best hunting days I've ever had in my life with my dad. Um, I call it the day of just almost, man. There were, uh, there were four different encounters from you know, 11 o'clock in the afternoon until 5 o'clock in the evening where one of us almost had a bull. I'm going to try to just run through them fairly quickly without going into too much detail um dad was pumped from the start to shoot a cow right off the bat um (laughs) you know i was all about getting so so we you know we left joe and neil were hunting this is the same day that they that joe hit his elk and neil killed his so um we left to go to a place that wasn't too far from the road um and we were just gonna travel in the truck a while and the road was so bad and you know, we kind of made fun of my dad the whole trip because his uh you know, he keeps his vehicles nice, he doesn't beat things up, he uh just he takes care of his stuff and Joe B and I are a little bit on the uh, just use it and abuse it. <laughs> you know, don't buy nice stuff because then it's a pain he has to take care of. But anyhow, we were in his nice truck and we just we couldn't, even if I had my truck, my Tacoma, we couldn't even get where we wanted to go. The road was so washed out and it was raining. We just got about a quarter of the way and stopped. And I was like, well, uh, we're not going to sit in, at camp and we're not going to sit in the truck. So I just got on a ridge and I was like, let's just walk to the ridge out. And we didn't go three quarters of a mile from the truck and jumped a cow. And I was like, hmm, well, there's, you know, we're on a north facing slope. I mean, just going by the basic. Elk hunting guidelines. I'm like, well, we're just gonna keep keep down this north facing slope, and we'll keep walking this ridge and see what happens. Then we started getting a little bit higher, higher, higher. I could see on my Onyx that it was going up to like a flat spot, and we got probably a mile in at this point, And I just kept walking over the ridge and glassing for like two minutes. Back off, walk 300 yards, walk over the ridge, glass, and I went over the ridge about the third time I did that I could see an elk ass down there just the white and I backed off and I was like holy smokes I'm like there's there's an elk down there I think it's about 70 80 yards just bedded went up over the ridge could see it and I went over to my right and there is an elk head that filled up my entire binoculars <laughs> I could just see its eyes like looking up towards me and I got into a you know I usually say like oh I was we were in a five minute stare down like i tried to really undercut it and say five minutes and my dad said 15 so <laughs> i'm still thinking that i stared at this elk for five like at least five minutes with my binoculars and finally it started blinking and then turned its head and i dropped down and I, dad was going to sneak over the ridge i figured it was about 40 yards so we walked down around and he was going to sneak up over and while i was doing that we heard rocks rumbling and I was like, shit, they must have winded us, something happened, the wind swirl. I don't know. So instead of just taking our good old time and going over the top, I was like, go up over there. And I kind of pushed him over, and yeah, one of the elk must to have got up and moved around, but none of them ran. Oh, So he like kind of rushed up over, and then instead of us being able to have the sneak attack, uh, he saw one, drew back, and then they kind of all stood up and all got panicky and ran off. So... If I didn't hear that stupid rock, I think that would have been a, a nice, easy uh, bedded, bedded cow for dad.
0: They were all cows?
2: All cows. Okay. Yeah. Um, so while we're dealing with that, dad's like, wow, that's really exciting. You know, second day, he, he, you know, he was just happy. And then we hear like a, a bull do it like a chuckle about 700 yards away. I'm like, here we go. Okay. I'm going to take Neil and Joe's plan of attack. We walked in. We had that one pretty narrowed down where we heard a chuckle. Narrowed, um, moved in on it. I put Dad about a hundred yards away, maybe eighty yards away. It was looked like it was right around or sounded like it was right around this little bend. I went back. Cal called once. Cal called again. No response. I started started doing the old beating, the, beating the tree, and then just I I screamed at him, and you know nothing happened. I was, I was really, really hoping to hear, hear from him back. So I, you know, worked it for 15 minutes and we waited for 15 minutes and then we, it was rained and so it was quiet. We just started creeping and about a hundred yards later, I saw the bed where he was laying and could smell him. And about 200 yards later, we caught up with him. He was 40 yards away, angling away, feeding, through some thick brush and I knocked an arrow. Um got a range and I had to sneak around like this deadfall, made a ducking motion and my bugle tube, like the top half of an inch, caught on that and just made a tiny little sound. And as I was drawing back, he just whoop, turned his head, looked at me, saw us, gone. Oh man. So you know that all happened. We're like, Oh, that was crazy. Walked another three hundred yards, uh, fell asleep for a while, maybe like an hour. No real game plan. Wake up, take a piss, and put my pack on. Dad goes, well, there's a bull coming!" Here, here's coming a nice five by five, and uh, some cows feeding up to us. Forty yards. They just never stepped out from a tree. Kind of turned around and walked out, walked away. Um,
0: Did they wind oh you? Or they saw you, or they just no? Just I don't think so. Directions?
2: They just kind of went a different direction. I mean, they were a little bit aware of something. Um, so then we went back towards the truck, and it was getting later, about, you know, five or six in the evening. And I, I remember playing on my cow call a little bit not even really calling elk because we took a nap, and I woke up and just, you know, the whole time you're there, you're just hitting, hitting a cow call for your own amusement. And same thing, we're putting our packs on ready to go, and I looked about. 200 yards up on the same exact trail we were on and here comes a six by six on a beeline for us on the same trail that we're sitting on and it is a huge six by six i mean as wide as you can imagine with like the whale tails it's, it's the biggest elk i've ever seen while hunting um and it i, I just said dad don't move because his bow was about five feet away from him and i i'm on right there i knocked the in there after you kicked it out of the way Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Kicked it out of the way and, uh, snapped his release. Um, but he started leaning down and it was coming almost like a direct at me and I didn't know what was going to happen, but as fast as it was coming, I wanted to be at full draw when it got to 50 and it kind of went down where I could only see its antlers and it came up on the top of the ridge. And as soon as it did, I mean, it didn't even hesitate just smelled the air and was gone and oh. it wasn't that, it wasn't that we had a bad wind it just went from going from directly going up the hill to directly going down the hill in that 30 second window it just swung in front of them um if it was 2 minutes sooner or 2 minutes later we'd have been perfectly fine it just just happened to be that little little swirl of the wind so we had, I mean, it was an amazing day, especially for the second day. And my dad's like all his first real elk encounters. Yeah, and that, that sounds was like a hell of a day. start. Yeah, it was, it was really, really exciting. It is
0: interesting because you mentioned smelling them, but I remember that. Like when I get oh, close, yeah. I'm like, I they were here. I can smell them. They do have that must, especially that time of year where you, you know they're nearby or we're just there. Yep. Well, that's a... That's a hell of a freaking day. So you, it sounds like, had a little bit uh, less success with the with the calling, though, because that elk just didn't seem interested, or maybe he just saw all those cows heading the other way and were just staying with the cows on that first one.
2: No, no, that wasn't it. Um, it's just like you know, it's the rut. It, nothing's uh, like, oh, you're gonna get every every bull to respond to a cow tonight you know you kind of got to find one that wants to play sometimes more of them want to play than not um yeah i mean I, who knows yeah. he he might have not even heard that call and he might have been walking down that trail to get somewhere he might have been bumped you never know yep um but yeah to, to try to put blanket statements over what they were doing is really difficult
0: yeah so uh so that was it. So. How'd it go the rest of the week? What'd you guys do? Same kind of thing.
2: Um, that was pretty much the end of ambush hunting for me, just because they—I mean—they were bugling on the other hillside that day, but they weren't bugling, and we ran into a lot of elk just walking around. But it was also they ran into you. So yeah, they did a couple times. So, but it was also raining, so it makes it nice to—you can really sneak when it's wet. Yeah.
0: And how was Um, your dad doing out there physically?
2: Uh, okay um probably for an for a regular hunter he was right on par um we were really uh really pushing the boundaries i think of of how far and fast at least i was probably more than i should just just really going hard and and quick you know i think i averaged probably 16 miles a day and just up and down mountains harder than I should. It actually helped me out that day hunting with dad, probably going slower yeah. instead of trying to just, I'm just an impatient person and I was in pretty damn good shape. So it, uh, I did a lot of, a lot of ground covering. So compared to me, he couldn't keep up to me at all, but that didn't really deter from him being able to kill an elk so much.
1: Yeah. 62 year old man. He did just fine. Yeah. He didn't
0: it good. All right, everyone, we're going to go ahead and break this podcast into two parts. Thanks for tuning in this week. Uh, stay tuned for next week to get the rest of this epic elk hunt. Thanks for listening.